and welcome to Inside the Artist. My name is Rachel Corman. You guys are in for a real treat. My guest today is Linda, the photographer. She is a former celebrity photographer. She photographed all the stars in the 80s and 90s. She just kind of fell into the Hollywood scene. It's a very inspiring story. And there's really not much else I'm going to say about it. I'm kind of just going to cut to the interview and you guys can hear it yourself. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Linda. I'm loving this uh, Linda the Ghost Hunter shirt. Yeah. yeah. This, this is, is the, the new business. This is the merch, man. I love it. Yeah. So we'll definitely get into talking about your ghost hunting and your, your new career path that you're on. Yes. But I definitely want to start with your experience as a very well-known celebrity photographer. You were a very, I guess you could say, famous celebrity photographer in the 80s and 90s. Back in the day, sure. Back in the day. Yep, yep. Some people you photographed were the likes of Lucille Ball, Jimmy Stewart, someone by the name of Michael Jackson. Mm, I think I've heard of him. You know, Jacqueline Smith, George Clooney, the Reagans. You know, Ronald Reagan was president then, so I'm very curious to hear some stories about that. I do believe he was president back then, yes. And, uh, you know, Julia Roberts, River Phoenix, I mean, you name it. I mean, these, this is just a short list of people you've photographed. Yes. So when did you first have a passion for photography, and is this something you always knew you wanted to do? Actually, when I was very young, I wanted to be an actress. And um, I looked a lot like Christy McNichol, who was on a show called Family when I was really young. And we really, really looked alike. So I'm like, if she could do it, I could do it, you know? Um, so I took a lot of acting classes and was really headed in that direction when I was in high school. And uh, somebody, I think it was my dad, that gave me a 35-millimeter camera. And the minute I touched that, it was amazing. Like, my life changed, you know? And uh, my best friend in high school was a model. And she could not drive yet. I was older than she was. So I drove her to San Francisco uh, to meet with this photographer. And her name was Kate Klein. If it wasn't for her, it wouldn't be, never be Linda the photographer. Kate is Kevin Klein's sister. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I didn't know that at the time. I, I, in fact, Kevin was not famous. He had just done a little movie called Sophie's Choice, which, of course, no one knew who Meryl Streep was. No one knew who he was. It was a, right at the beginning of their careers, you know? And so anyway, Kate really took me kind of underneath her belt and said, listen, you know, to be a good photographer, you have to really get to know your subjects and you have to flatter them. And that's the most important thing that'll make you a great photographer if you want to shoot people. So that was the beginning to the end. I mean, that was the beginning of how my career really started was just, you know, her kind of taking me under, teaching me things. And um, then I started doing a lot of photography contests and I kept winning them. And I'm like, okay, this is obviously the direction I should be going in. So it's just your dad giving you a camera, you experimenting with it, meeting some people in the industry. Yes. And from then on, it was like, oh, wow, I can actually make a lot of money doing this. I didn't know if I could actually make money at that point. I mean, I was still really young. You know, mm -hmm. I was in high school. Um, and then when I moved to Los Angeles, I was working at a camera store in Westwood. And a lot of famous photographers would come in there, you know, and I knew who they were. Nobody else did. And I'm like, oh, my God, do you know who that is? How did you know them? Did you study them? I studied them. I was very religiously studying how you could make a living, uh, particularly taking pictures of celebrities. That was my passion. You know, as a little kid, I used to watch a lot of television, you know, the 70s and 80s early sitcoms. And I really enjoyed television quite a bit. And I knew I really wanted to work in that industry one way or the other. Um, so... While I was working in the camera store, I was also going to university. I was going to UCLA. 
And I had a teacher by the name of Lee Weiner, who was uh, President Kennedy's photographer for Life magazine back in the day. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. This guy was a real big shot, but a really, really nice guy, too. And he had said in his class, um, your, today's assignment is going to be different than your usual assignment. Take a picture of me in the class. Mm. And I did. And the way that I shot it was I actually laid down on the ground, and I shot him so he looked like this huge, tall man. And Because uh, he was someone you looked up to. I looked up to so much. And uh, I, I got the chills just talking about this. He really, um, he said to me at that point, he goes, of all the other students here, you're going to make it. You're going to be the one that actually succeeds. Um, and I have a friend that works at People Magazine. I can't promise you anything. But here's her phone number. I'm going to tell her that you're going to call. And I did. And very soon after, I got a photo agent. And uh, it kind of happened that fast. I dropped out of school. I became a photographer. Uh, I worked with a very reputable agency back then. Um, you know, and, and my agent, this is kind of a funny story. My agent, uh, I found him. I, I, I learned where he liked to hang out. And he liked to eat dinner at Chasen's. And uh, was that a big restaurant? A big there? restaurant that okay. was like where Frank Sinatra, uh, Dean Martin, all the you know the big time old timers would hang out. Wow. And so I said, okay, well I got all dolled up, and I happen to live very close to Chasen, so I went there, and I looked up what he looked like. You know, I knew everything, and this is before the internet. You know, so I had to really kind of do my homework. The and old school research. The method. old school research, man. Yeah. And uh, I found these old pictures of him in magazines and archives and stuff. And so I knew what I was looking at. But, you know, keep in mind, when I was looking him up, he was a lot younger. So I go in there, and I'm looking around the restaurant. And um, how I was able to find him was actually his wife. Uh, his wife looked the same. He had a much younger wife than he was. And I'm she like, recognized her first? I recognized her first. And they were eating. And I literally went and sat at their table. And I said, hey, uh, Bob Michelson, um, I'm the photographer you've been looking for. And he says, that's amazing. I'm not looking for a photographer. And I said, well, you are now. And he said, kid, I've hired a lot of photographers. No one has ever been this gutsy before. 100%. Kid. You are so tenacious. It takes so much guts and so much courage to just do that. Go to a fancy restaurant. You're saying where Frank Sinatra used to go. Yes. Go up to a stranger yeah. who's this reputable photography agent yeah, yeah. and say, you need to hire me. Yes. And, and, you know, of course, I was young, and nobody was going to stop me. You know, I How came... How old were you? I think I just about 19 and a half years old at this point. Wow. Not even 20 years old yet. You wow. know, I wasn't even old enough to drink. But I was very... The word no meant nothing to me. Was acting still an interest for you at the time, or did that kind of go to the wayside when you decided you wanted to continue photography? Yeah, I never thought about acting again. Okay. You know, once, once I started taking pictures, you know, and I, I did a lot of work for people and my agent was able to get me other work in Europe. You know, I was doing a lot of European magazines and it was like this, this whole new world opened up to me and it was like kind of being a celebrity because I got treated so well, but, you know, not having to deal with the loss of your anonymity. You know, I wanted to still be very, uh, unknown to people. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted my privacy. And I, I realized early on that when you become a celebrity, there is no such thing as privacy anymore. Yeah. That goes. So this agent took you on. So yes. what was the first job you got? Dallas, the TV show Dallas. And it was for Patrick Duffy. 
and he was such a nice guy. He was one of the big actors of, uh, of Dallas at the time. And I was watching like Larry Hagman and Linda Gray and all, you know, all these really big actors from the show. And at that point, I remember Victoria Principal, who was a, a, another big character on the show, came up to me and she said, you know, listen, if you're gonna take pictures, you gotta do this and you gotta do that. And she just knew that I had just started. And she really was just giving me tips on, you know, how she likes to be photographed. And again... Did that help you? Do you like that? Or do you want to do your own thing? No, that was fantastic. Was. Because here's this very, very famous actress of the time in probably the number one show at that point telling me how to take a great picture of a celebrity. And Patrick Duffy, they were just... They ended up being friends, you know, down the road because they were so kind. And um, I ended up getting the cover of the National Enquirer back then with Patrick Duffy, that picture from the set. And that was a lot of money. So it was like my first picture was a cover. I'm like, oh That's my God, this amazing. is amazing. You know? So I only had, I think, six or seven covers in my 16 years of being a photographer. So that's how rare that was. But imagine like the momentum you felt after that. You're like, wow, I can get a cover. I gotta keep doing this. How often did you work on the Dallas set for? Uh, it was a short-term thing. That was for, it was actually for People Magazine that I was working for, and they ended up not running the story. And back then, the way it would work is if they had paid you an upfront fee, if you just did not accept the upfront fee, the photos became yours. And that's how I was able to, my agent was able to send them to the National Enquirer, you know, because, again, People Magazine did not want to run the story, so. So were you an independent contractor, I guess? Like, now there's, like, Getty Images. There's all these stock footage sites. So you owned all of the photos you took. I owned all the photos, all the rights. You know, the agent would take, uh, at that point, I think it was 25%. And, uh, but it was always always my photos. His job was basically to get me into places, you know, introduce me to the right publicists, you know, work me, you know. And at that time, I was one of three female photographers that worked in the celebrity industry. And two of them did not do this full time. It was very much, again, the beginning. Um, this is kind of the transition period uh, before the paparazzis. Um, but there were still these old school glamour photographers and there was Ron Galilla and Ron Galilla was the one that, uh, would shoot Jacqueline Kennedy and she got a restraining order against him. So in a sense, he was actually the original paparazzi and he had an agency. And I always said to myself, stay away from that agency. You don't want anything to do with people that work like that. Or don't have a good reputation. That do not have a good reputation. You wanted to build good rapports with the celebrities. You wanted them to call you and hire you for events, for photo shoots. I mean, Correct. you have some, some examples of that. Correct. I mean, that was, um, I think that's what also separated me. You know, these were a bunch of thuggy, bald, kind of heavy set men that really were not handsome at all that were these photographers. Some of them were missing teeth. <laughs> I mean, it was really, it was a motley crew. It really was. And here I come, kind of this young, cute girl, you know, yeah. uh, new to the industry. New to Hollywood. New to Hollywood. trying to take it all in. Take it all in. And, and, you know, so I got a lot of attention and very positive attention. And the celebrities all kind of took me under their wing. You know, uh, I remember Ed McMahon, who was the co-host of The Tonight Show, he invited me to an event. He was doing a fundraising event, him and his wife, Victoria, at that time. I was sitting at the table, and I was, you know, I, I was raised just like everybody else. I grew up in a, a small area outside of, of San Francisco in the Bay Area. And, you know, my mom was an immigrant, and my dad was a cab driver. So I was not someone that grew up at all wealthy. You know, there were times we, we never knew where food was coming from. 
And I wasn't brought up with these, the etiquette of Hollywood, what glass you use, what fork you use. And I remember so clearly Ed McMahon sat me down and he said, oh my God, you've got to put the napkin here. You have to use this fork. You drink out of this glass with the wine. You drink out. I mean, again. This was all foreign to you. These celebrities really took such a, a, a liking to me and they helped me so much. And it was just amazing. What do you think it is about you? Because I mean, I'm good friends with you. Yes. I know that you're a a warm, kind, you know, inviting type person. What do you think it is about your personality that attracted people? Well, I think that I am very sincere. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I think that I try to talk to people like I like to be talked to. I just, I'm always open to learn from people, and I like to hear people's stories. I think when you listen to people sometimes, if you're just open to listening versus talking, right there and then you can make a friend, mm. you know? Very much so. So it's those people skills that you think helped your career advance and make those connections. Very much, very much. And, you know, my, my grandfather was very charming. And uh, he always said I was a chip off the old block because he was a bit of a con artist. You know, he would, uh, he's a professional gambler. And he would con people. Oh, there's a bang. Um, <laughs> maybe it's a ghost. We're maybe outside. maybe it's my, my grandfather. Just so everyone knows, we're outside. We're being COVID safe. That's why this episode might sound a bit different. We're, we're outside in Linda's wonderful backyard. So yeah, we're just together. To, just yes. to put that out there. But yes, continue. Where I do do ghost hunts, which I know is coming down the which road. Which is coming down, yes. But I did say my grandfather, and next thing you know, we hear this kind of bang. So Oh, my goodness. We might have some ghost presence with us tonight. Oh my goodness. Anyway, back to topic story. at hand. Yes. So when I was a little girl, my mom would work at like the retail stores, you know, part-time because my dad was not making much of a living. So she would drop me at my grandparents' house and she'd say to my grandfather, Linda, whatever you do to my grandfather, do not take Linda with you gambling. So you know what my grandfather did. He took, took you gambling. He took me of gambling. Of course, yeah. And he had this poker game and he taught me how to cheat for him you know, when I was barely five years old, he'd say, do you know how to count to 10? Yes. Okay, this is a jack. This is a queen. Like, this is an ace. Okay, this is all you do. You just walk around and act like a little kid and that you're playing, play with your ball, do whatever. And then you let me know. We had this whole code of what the cards were everybody else had. And no one ever caught on to us. So, but he was such a charming man that people kind of knew maybe we were cheating but they never said anything. You were a pawn in his con? I, yeah, I was a pawn in his con, and my mom was so angry. Oh, my God. I was God. just going to ask you, what oh did my God. think about that? Oh, my God. She was so angry. She's like, what, what are you doing to my child? How are you raising this child? But it was very much what made me my, my person that I am today. And my grandmother, uh, was uh, her English skills were very minimal. And uh, she was a very simple woman. She was a seamstress. And she loved the, the rag magazines. Like, you know, back then there wasn't all the ones that are out now, but there was, the Inquirer was always out and she liked People Magazine because they were small articles. So with her limited English, she was able to read them. Mm. So I remember when I was a little girl, I would just pick up these magazines and I would look through them and I'm like, these are pretty cool. Like, I like these, I like these movie magazines, you know? Uh, there was Rona Barrett. There was all these movie magazines that don't exist anymore. And, uh, I really enjoyed them, you know? So between the two of them, they very much developed me as a human being. Wow, that's so interesting. I actually didn't know that about you. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so being a uh, part of your grand grandfather's cons is what got you that, those great skills to attract <laughs> clients. Very much so, and not to be afraid either. He yes. was not afraid of anybody. He would mm -hmm. always say, you, you know, there's no one you can't talk to. 
you know, and I, I kind of always took that to heart. No matter what level they're at, whether they're celebrity, whether they're not, you know, it's like you treat everyone the same and it's like you're not intimidated. I mean, I have had my intimidation, you yeah. know, if I see someone, for example, that I really like, you know, then I have kind of choked a few times and been Who's like... Who's been the one you choked with? Well, I always had a very, very uh, big crush on Henry Winkler, the Fonz. I mean, I, I was in love with him. And the first time I met him, I did not make exactly a great impression with him. He, uh, he was at a, a roller skating event. And, you know, he was, it was a fundraising event. And so I was put on the roller skates. You know, I put the camera down and I tried to catch him. And I just kept falling down. So I said, okay, this isn't the way that I'm going to meet him. Let me take off the roller skates. After the event, I sat down and he sat just right next to me. And I said, you know who you are? And he goes, I do. And I said, you know who you are. <laughs> I said, you're the Fonz. And he goes, I don't like to be called the Fonz. That's not who I am. I'm Henry Winkler, you know, because imagine what it was like to be him. He had lost his identity completely to this character. Right. And here comes someone that just calls him the Fonz again. And so, you know, I thought about it and I sat there for a while and I said, you know what? That's not fair that you responded this way. I said, I was a young girl with dreams and you were kind of this geeky Jewish guy who was the Fonz. I knew you were Henry Winkler, but you were the Fonz and you were able to take on this character that was so inspirational to so many people my age, you know, and to actually show that you could be cool. He's the one that made cool, cool. Mm -hmm. And he thought about it for a little while. And I could tell he was getting a little bit aggravated at me because how dare I say this to him. I am shocked you stood up to him. And he kind of walked away. And then I think it was, I don't remember how it ended there, but I know it wasn't good. Like I never was asked to shoot another one of his charity events. And I ran into him years later, you know, at an event or something. And he said, you know, I thought about what you said. And you really pissed me off. But ultimately, you were right. You he know? remembered you. He did. I think I made quite an impression on him because I don't think people had the courage to, to say what I said. But, you know, sometimes I find this, and I found this over the years, celebrities have a tendency to lose themselves. And he's a very down-to-earth guy. Don't get me wrong. But his hatred for this character that overtook Henry Winkler, I think he realized, you know what? She's right. There's so many people that I affected in such a positive way, mm -hmm. why would I not honor the fact that I was the Fonz, you know? Do you think he was also upset, though, because you were there for a professional event and you were, you know, in a way expressing how you're a fan of his? Do you think that was part of it or no? You just think he... No, I think I pissed him off. I think yeah. if I would have just played the fan role and said, hey, Henry Winkler, I love you. Um, I actually have a poster of me and him together, a picture of us, um, because we became... Good buddies after all this. So after it. that, you guys connected. We did. We did. We did. He got to know me. I got to know him. And the thing was, I guess the way, best way to express this is, you know, my mom's a Holocaust survivor. And, you know, my family was not, uh, they never had an easy life. And, you know, they come to this country. And, you know, my mom came here when she was 18 years old on a boat with her younger sister. And the way that I was raised is you never, ever need to back down if you think you're right, but admit when you're wrong, you know? And if someone says, you're absolutely wrong, you know, apologize. Don't, mm -hmm. don't be stubborn about it. But I think it's this whole family that I come from, they never took no for an answer. They never... They're survivors. They're, they're survivors. fighters. They're fighters, yeah. you know? And so many of the Jewish people that survived the Holocaust, the ones that made it through, they didn't come out of this weak people. They came out very, very strong, you know? And so you're saying that was passed along to you. Very much so. Very much, yeah.
definitely, definitely. Made me a very strong woman, very independent, you know? So what was your relationship like with Lucille Ball? That was incredible. Now, there's someone who I idolized, uh, you know. Me uh, too, that's why I'm asking about her. I mean, she I was- I watching I Love Lucy. Oh, I Love Lucy, and then there was the Lucy show, and you know, I really always wanted to meet her, but you know, by the time I got into the business, she was very, very out of the scene. You know, she was no longer acting, you know, occasionally, uh, she would do a Bob Hope special, but she wasn't very active in the entertainment business. Carol Channing wrote a book, and I was hired to take pictures of Carol Channing. So I'm at this book signing, and here comes in Lucille Ball, and she had a persona that was bigger than life. She walks in with that flaming red hair and this white, white face. You know, no sun, beautiful makeup. She looked amazing. Class act. So I'm, I'm taking pictures, and, you know, there's certain setups you have to do as a photographer that, you know, this and that, and you know, Carol Channing, she wanted certain pictures, certain pictures with so-and-so, so anyway, setups were happening. I really felt like it wasn't maybe the most appropriate time to try and talk to Lucy because I was on a very, uh, it, was a, it was a big day for me, I had a lot to do. Yeah. And I just, you know, didn't want to bother her or disturb her. And, you know, so I'm wrapping up and I'm putting the cameras away and she's walking out at the same time as I am. So I walk out and I go, Hey, you know, thank you so much for working with me today. You're really very professional. It's a joy to work with you. And she said, you know, I was going to say the same thing. You know, you're very professional. It was a joy to work with you. Wow. And I said, you're kidding, right? And she goes, no, I'm not. She goes, you know, I've been in this industry for a long time, and I could spot a BSer a mile away. And you're not. You're the real thing. You come, you do your job, you're professional, you don't bother people. I like that, kid. I want to work with you again. And so I thought that was Hollywood talk. You know, a lot of that people... That just gave me the chills. I know. What a compliment. She was... She had a reputation I did not know about as being very difficult to work with, especially with photographers. And there she is giving you a compliment. There she is giving me a compliment. You know, she's like, I want to work with you. Give me your card. I'm like, I'm never going to hear from Lucille Ball. Like, and this is Lucille Ball. And can I ask, how old were you at the time? Uh, I still around the 20, 21 range. You know, very young. Mm -hmm. Very young when all this is happening because, you know, they passed away. By the time I was like 25 or 26, most of the big old timers had pretty much passed away. So... I get a phone call, you know, just like I would get from you. Hello, how are you? Uh, this is uh, Lucille Ball. Um, my grandkids, uh, they're going to be doing this uh, fashion show. And, you know, my daughter's going to be there. And we really want to get some very nice pictures of the kids in this fashion show. Would you be available to go to the Beverly Hilton Hotel on so-and-so day? So wait, hold on. Yeah. She called you direct. Called me direct. No, no assistant, assistant. No assistant. No agent. This is no how it nothing. used to be. No PR, nothing. This was her calling me directly. So uh, I go to the Hilton and, uh, you know, I'm trying to play it all cool, but inside, you know, I think I'm going to throw up. Like, I don't feel good. Like, my stomach's queasy. I'm like... I can't believe this is happening. I mean, here's this 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 girl from the Bay. Now here in Los Angeles, I'm about to shoot for Lucille Ball, Lucy Arnaz, her two kids. This is crazy. Here I am at this fashion show, and I'm taking these pictures. Again, I'm trying not to over-talk. My whole thing was try not to over-talk to the celebrities. Just smile at them, let them know that you're there. Ask them what, what do they want, what kind of photos do they want, and then walk away. Mm-hmm. Smart. Don't talk about what a big fan you are. Just mm -hmm. go on. And well, be, that's what she liked about you, too. Be very professional. Yeah. Be very professional. And so, yes, I was extremely professional, and I got these beautiful pictures, which led into shooting birthday parties at her house in Beverly Hills. But I will say my favorite, favorite Lucy story is my mom uh, used to come visit me quite often, and I said, uh, I'm going to introduce you to Lucille Ball. And she said, you're not. 
you don't know Lucille Ball because Lucille Ball, I always just say to my mom when I was a kid, I'm like, whenever she was mean to me or spanked me, uh, you know, or grounded me or anything, I'd be like, you're not my real mom. Lucille Ball is. <laughs> so I'll have to listen to you. And uh, <laughs> so here it is, right? I'm like, I'm going to introduce you to my real mom. And so... <laughs> so, but when you were getting these gigs, did you call your mom and tell her? Oh, yeah. She, she, okay, so yeah, she knew. She knew. She knew. We, we were best friends, my mom and I. We had a very good relationship. And, I mean, you know, she had come several times, and she had met these people, and she couldn't believe it either. You know, she was like, are you kidding me? What has my daughter done? I mean, this is amazing. <laughs> She's fully in the Hollywood scene. She's totally in the Hollywood scene. She's yeah. like... You know, she'd go back to uh, the we grew up. The area I lived in was Foster City, and she at this point became a realtor there. And you know, she'd bring back these these snapshots of her with all these celebrities, and people in her office are like, "How are you doing this? <laughs> you know, how is this all happening?" You know. So here it is: the day my mom is going to meet Lucille Ball, and this definitely, I think, uh, guaranteed my relationship with Lucille Ball till the time she died. You know, here comes my mom, and I said, this is my mom, Suzanne, this is Lucille Ball. And, you know, my mom said, I've always been a little bit jealous of you. And Lucy says, why is this? She said, when my daughter was young, she used to say that you are a much better mom than I am. And I was always jealous by that. And Lucille Ball got such a kick out of that oh that that gosh. was it, you know? I love that. So it was just... Uh, what a full circle moment. Full circle, for sure. I always, I've always been a very spiritual person, and I always believed that I was meant to do what I was doing at the time, and everything that happened was meant to happen. But I might be calm and cool as I talk about this now, but I was a young, naive, hyper, crazy young girl running around, and here I am running around with the A-listers and then some. You know, it was such a change in what I, my life was. You know, and I was making this money, this, this amazing money, and uh, I had this old, old car, and it kept breaking down, going to events and stuff. And I remember my mom saying at one point, will you please go buy a new car? You know, I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Half the time, you can't even make it somewhere. Your car breaks down all the time. So I did. I bought a new car. That was, that was a big, big change in my life, too. I had all this money put away in the bank. At, at that point, I think it was like $100,000, you know, and I'm like 21 or 22 years old at this point. That is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And... Uh, she kept saying, you got to buy something. You have to buy something. And I said, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this commitment yet. You just wanted to keep saving. Was that your goal? You were yeah, like, I'm trying to build a savings for my future. Well, you know, when you grow up poor, I think your biggest fear is always that you're going to be poor again, you know? And so I was very, I was, I mean, I live like, uh, I ate at Norm's restaurant and Denny's. I, I lived like a pauper, you know, if I wasn't eating at an event. You know, and I lived in a horrible apartment in downtown Los Angeles. This is before downtown was cool. So you had $100,000 in the bank, and yeah. you lived in a shitty apartment. Yes. Why? And there, there, because uh, I just was afraid, you know, yeah. that it was all going to end. You yeah. know, it came on so quick. Was was this going to be it? Was this going to be the end, you know? And uh, I remember my dad even came to visit, and he said, you've got to move out of this apartment. This place is disgusting. We'd hear gunshots. It was next to MacArthur Park. You know, in downtown, right? We'd hear gunshots at night, night and there was this uh, Hispanic bar downstairs, and these guys would get wasted, and at 4 o'clock in the morning, you'd hear, I'm going to kill you, man, you know? And it was just like, fights were breaking out, and I'm like, whoa, yeah. But the security guard would watch me, and, you know. But still, Linda, you have to move if I, it's that bad. I had to move. I had to move. So cut to I'm 25 years old, and I did buy in Beverly Hills, and mm -hmm. that was the beginning of my real estate investing, and I, I bought a foreclosure, and I think I paid like 
75 or $80,000 for this one bedroom place in Beverly Hills. And I lived there and my whole, again, every, every little thing you look at was a, a climb up the ladder. Mm-hmm. So here I am living in Beverly Hills with these celebrities and I don't need a security guard anymore to watch me come in with my equipment at night because I thought I was going to get killed. What Fiction. I just think is really cool about these stories, and I there's a couple more I want to hear as well, your career has really blossomed through your relationships. And your yes. relationships developed just based on you being yourself. Yes. Not everyone can say that about their career, saying that I'm successful just because I was being myself. Yes, I guess. I, I just, just think re- that that's... Well, thank you. That's, yeah, that's amazing. Like hearing yeah. these stories is like... It's just such a great message to share with people about what can happen when you have faith, when you have faith in yourself, when you have faith in your skill, yeah. and you just are yourself. And like you say, you are a sincere person. I know that because I'm good friends with you. When you come from a sincere and genuine intention, mm-hmm. people respond well to that. They do. And I think if you didn't have that within yourself, maybe you wouldn't have been as successful. Yeah, and it could have been, too, that all the other photographers were missing teeth. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, one of the two. One of the two. I also, I'm I trying had, to give you a compliment. Yeah, thank you, thank you. No, but I, I was just one of the lucky ones, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep, you still have all your teeth. That's true. It's, 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 well, questionable at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's a separate podcast. That is, that is a separate podcast. Yeah, yeah. How long did you stay in touch with Lucille Ball for? I think that probably the last time I shot for her was probably 88. You know, it was about a year before she died. And you could tell she wasn't the vibrant, funny. You know, just a little side note about Lucille Ball. She was a tough cookie. She wasn't this sweet, funny person. She wasn't this, you know, the fall down uh, slapstick Lucy that we all saw. She, she was a very, very intelligent businesswoman, you know, because she had to fight hard in her career as well. Something I just thought of as you're describing that is maybe that's why she took a liking to you because you are also a strong, independent, hardworking woman. So yes. maybe she recognized that in you because she's that herself. She was. She was very, and that's why people said she was very tough to work with. It wasn't that she was tough to work with. It's like she knew what she wanted and she wouldn't be mean about it, but she was very matter of fact. I needed you to do this. And but back do- then, women were dis- were called difficult if you stood up for yourself. They still they are. They still are. They still I mean, are, especially tell in entertainment. Me, tell me about it. Yes. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, back You're in the day, I, yeah. can't, I can't imagine what, what that would have been like. I, I couldn't either. You know, I mean, she's back in the 50s here, you know, when she's basically, let's face it, it was I Love Lucy. It was not the Desi Arnaz show. They say that he was the brains behind a lot of this, but in reality, she was. He got a lot of the credit. She needed him to be the spokesman because they wouldn't take her seriously. I know you said you're a spiritual person. Do you believe in manifestation? 100%. So do you think when you were saying you were a kid and you were like, oh, Lucy's my second mom, and you talked about Lucy all the time as a kid, Mm -hmm. look what you manifested. Yes, I, I very much believe that. I think this is the most important message to share with people is it's not always easy to believe in yourself. It isn't. It's, people will knock you down. Teachers will beat you up. You know, I, I had learning disabilities when I was a kid, and teachers were horrible to me. They always told me how I could not do anything, how I could not read, how I could not write, how I would never be anything, you know? And I think that that was another reason. My mother always says, you can do whatever you want. These teachers, they don't mean anything. I say that to kids now. I say that to my nephew. I say that to all the kids who are around me. You can do and be whatever you want to be. You said it to me, too. You can. You can. You know, don't ever let anybody tell you differently. We all have that within ourselves. And uh, And because you had that belief in yourself. Yes. Yes. And we're all insecure. 
there's no one that's not insecure, but we have insecurities in different ways. How did you meet Michael Jackson? Okay, so Michael Jackson, this is a weird one. He had a publicist named Lee Salters. And you're going to catch a theme going on with my stories. Nobody wanted to work with Lee Salters. He was known as being a very, very hard publicist to work with. I love the guy. I loved him. He loved me. We got along so well. We used to eat at Nate Nails at least once a week. And he handled some very, very big names, one being Michael Jackson. Now, uh, Michael Jackson went through a lot of photographers. Michael Jackson was a very, very strange guy, very strange. And uh, he really had a lot of rules. You know, when you went to go take pictures, there were a lot of rules. Can you tell us a couple? Uh, the rules would be, for example, you could never go closer than 10 feet to him unless you were taking a picture. Uh, if he was talking to people, you immediately had to back up. If he was talking to children, you had to back up. Okay. Obviously today we know a different story than I knew then, but I did have suspicions, but you did not till later, not when this was all going on. He was such a good guy to kids because basically he would donate enormous amounts of money to schools in Watts, in even uh, downtown Los Angeles. And he would build auditoriums for kids. He, you know, there are many Michael Jackson auditoriums in the city of Los Angeles. Um, and he was very, very generous with his money towards children. And so many of the things I did involved children, you know, and him doing these, uh, you know, what you would basically, they weren't red carpet events, but you, what, what would be, would you cut the... Uh, cut the ribbon. Cut the ribbon. For they were a, cut the ribbon for events. For an event, yes. Yeah, yes. so you would cut the ribbon and... So you were hired to photograph those type of events. Those, those type. And uh, again, I knew how to stay away. I kept to myself. I really... I never said a word to him. I can't say I ever had a conversation with him. But I had some amazing pictures of him that others did not have. And uh, that Where did was, those get published? Um, again, recently when he died, uh, my pictures made a huge comeback, you know, because a lot of them are still stock photos with the magazines, and they ran quite a few of them. So you sell them to stock companies, and that's... No, I actually, they're still on hold at them. I still technically uh, own a, a photo agency. I should probably bring that up at some point, too, that I only shot for Bob Michelson agency for two years, and then I started my own agency. Mm -hmm. And so I had photographers working for me. Looking back now, <laughs> was he weird with children? By all means, you know. If it would have been in the 2000s versus the late 80s, I would have probably had a different perspective on it than I do now. I did a lot of work for Tiger Beat and teen magazines, and I had a lot of young kids that I worked with. And there were a lot of pedophiles I knew in the industry, in the photo industry. And I tried to protect the kids, the young actors, from people that scared me as a, you know, as a, a young adult myself. And I was so close in age with a lot of these, you know, young actors that I thought, I need to protect you. You know, Drew Barrymore, Stephen Dorff, a lot of the 90210 cast. You know, I, I really, I took a liking to these kids and I really looked out for them. So you knew that some of the photographers were bad news. Very bad news. Very bad news. And they would do some terrible things to kids. And how you did know, you protect them? A lot of times their parents were very naive to this stuff. You know, their kids were new in the business. And I'd say, listen... I'm not telling you to use me as a photographer. I'm not trying to pitch myself, okay? Yeah. But the person you were going to use, and I'm not going to mention their names. Most of them have died of AIDS. Um, but these were bad men. And I said, if you are to use this photographer, there is a chance that your child will be molested by, by this 
photographer. Again, your bravery of coming forward. I just wish I could have stopped what was going on. But again, if I would have called the police even at that time, it was such a different time. No, they wouldn't have believed you. They wouldn't have believed me. There wasn't. There was no talk of this stuff. Yeah. You know what was going on behind closed doors in the industry. It's coming out now. Look how long it's taken. Yeah. For these stories to actually come out, I mean, like Corey Corey Feldman has finally come out with his story. Yeah. You know, a lot of them have these stories now. By the way, Corey Haim, I did try and protect, but his mother did not take my advice. So you'd go to their mothers and say, hey, this guy's bad news. This guy's bad news. And they would just say, no, you're wrong. Or they didn't care. They didn't care. They thought I was full of BS. Or maybe this photographer had a bigger name than me. Right. So they went with the bigger name versus the safety issue. So all these were just freelance gigs. I had my own company. You had your own company. You're networking with people. And you just got hired to shoot events. Or were you still doing on set? Speaking of sets, which will kind of lead me into George Clooney and my past lives... George Clooney. George Clooney. I cannot wait for this. So Facts of Life was a show that I had kind of worked with off and on uh, over the years. I was not their set photographer. At this time, I became a union photographer. But union dues were incredibly high at this point. So I tried to do shows that weren't heavy union oriented, where you could just come in and maybe shoot for TV Guide, let's say. And that was my way in. Because at that point, TV Guide, they, they would... They would do shoots with different shows pretty regularly because they needed pictures for whatever the shows would be for the week. So maybe once or twice a month, I would be doing sets. And so Facts of Life was a pretty regular set for me. So the new season begins, and they introduce this young actor called George Clooney. Yeah. And he's kind of this nerdy guy with long hair with these thick eyebrows. And Was he attractive? I thought he was very handsome. Nobody yeah. else did. I, you know, he was totally my type. He had this long hair, this long brown hair. And I just thought, this guy, and he was hilarious. Oh, my God, he was so funny, yeah. you know. And, you know, n- none of us were of the age to really know Rosemary Clooney, who was a very famous person, which is his aunt. And I understand I his... I didn't know that was his aunt. That was his aunt. And his father's also famous. I don't know if he was a director. I mean, he doesn't talk about this. But, but he, his family's from the industry, too. I think I've yeah. heard him on some interview mention. Yeah, he's definitely... Guy, so. His okay. family is definitely industry background. So he is... So funny, you know, and the girls on the set, this was, uh, I think, the second to the last season of the show, and the girls were really done. You know, none of them liked each other. You know, they were fighting a lot. on. There was a lot of tension on that set. It wasn't my favorite place to be. And they had replaced Charlotte Ray. You know, it, it just the whole vibe of the set had changed over the years. But George really brought a new fun life to it. Everybody loved him. He was just fun to kid around with. In between takes, he was hilarious. So I got to know him really well. We were known to have a few drinks after shooting. You know, he liked to drink and I loved to drink. And yeah. we'd go to the bar and, you know, we go to these dive bars. And at this point, he's not really famous. Like, no one really knows who he is. He's on a sitcom. Nobody's really paying attention right. to him. So, you know, we go, we have a cocktail. We have a great time. We get hammered. Nice guy. Really nice guy. Okay. You know, time progresses and I don't really see him around. You know, he starts getting a little bit bigger. He starts doing movies and stuff. So... You know, he doesn't hire me to be his photographer. We don't... You never did a personal photo shoot with him? Never did. We did We did not really keep in touch. We kind of, you know, his career went one way and my career went the other way. Cut to uh, Princess Diana. So Princess Diana, for those of you who do not know, uh, the, the paparazzi were very much blamed for her death, you know, with, with what happened to her. And so I'm listening to KLOS and I'm at Home Depot. I'm no longer a photographer at this point. And, you know, I'm buying some stuff for my house at Home Depot and... I hear George Clooney on KOS 
speeding up photographers, all photographers, how they're all paparazzis, how they're all scumbuckets, how he can't stand them, how he wants to put an end to this, how he's going to start this whole thing. And I'm listening to this, and I said, yeah, no, you know, this is the time of cell phones now. So I call in KLOS. And I so this is late 90s, because she died, what, it was like 97. 97. Yeah. I call into KLOS, and I say, my name is Linda Silverstein, and I'm a photographer. Tell George Clooney I'm on the line right now. So, you know, this, this whole thing's live. You know, they're on live radio. And so you hear the guy say, you know, Linda Silverstein is, is on the phone. And he immediately says, oh, shit. You heard that. I heard it. It was on live. So they put me on live, just like I'm talking to you right now via phone. And I said, George, I 100% agree with you. You know, we've talked about this. I hate paparazzis, too. They're the scum of the earth. But... You put us all in one category. And he goes, I know, I'm sorry. I know. I realized when you called. <laughs> Everyone's listening. Everyone's to this. listening to this. This is on local Los Angeles radio. Local Los Angeles oh radio. He, he goes, I realized when you call, I made a mistake. So he goes, let me correct myself right now. Linda and I go back many years. She was a fantastic photographer. She never paparazzied anybody. I, I respect her and I, I do apologize. And my statements were too broad. And there are paparazzis and there are celebrity photographers. This is a good segue into that because that's another topic I want to talk to you about yeah. is how the celebrity culture, when people hear celebrity photographer now in 2020, they think paparazzi. Yes. And so that's why I'm really excited that you're on the show to discuss how it was before paparazzi. Yes. And how this was a more professional and a more safe environment for celebrities and celebrities enjoyed being photographed because they could communicate please shoot me this way and you built those relationships you built these relationships so yeah. i guess first of all that story with george clooney is amazing yeah. and i love it and i love that he apologized and i love that he owned up to it and that he remembered you i mean again you made an impression it was years later yeah but i guess explain to me your views on the paparazzi culture and why you don't like it the paparazzi culture came into effect very heavily uh, towards the end of my career. And this became a dilemma in my life because things were changing and there were so many more photographers. Again, when I started, there were a total of about 20 of us. And most of the photographers that had been around, other than the pedophiles, were fans. You know, they started out as fans and they were asking for autographs and they eventually became photographers. And a lot of them had started... Uh, back in the 50s. So this was an old crew. This was Do you not think even... their intentions were different than yours? Like they just wanted to get close to the celebrities where you actually enjoyed the art of it? I think that I always want to get close to celebrities okay, too. Fair, I, fair, think, fair, fair, I, fair. I, I think that to be in that industry, you had to have some, you had to be a fan. Mm -hmm. I don't think you could go into that industry not being a fan. Okay. Because there were so many other types of photography you could do. You know, this was something that was a hard job. You were out at night when it was freezing sometimes. You, you know, they, they would work you to death. You know, they would call you at all the hours of the morning. You were like their therapist. So it wasn't an easy job. You know, I don't ever want to make light of it. It was a very difficult job, but I loved it. So towards the end of my career, uh, there was a guy called Phil Ramey. And here he shows up with his helicopters and his long lenses. And, you know, this is when Madonna's getting big. And he's known for following her via helicopter and uh, Cher's getting married and he's shooting off a helicopter. And... He's ruining the reputations of photographers, very much so. He's, he's destroying the reputation we've all worked so hard to build. 
You know? And around what years this did you start seeing the change? This was the early '90s. You know, you could start seeing that there's more of these paparazzis. You know, I'd be at an event where I was scheduled to be at, and the celebrities would show up and come out of their cars and these photographers would be following them from their homes, jump out and take pictures of them, you know, before they even get into the event and practically jumping into the limousine with them. This was very uh, distasteful to me because mm -hmm. they're at an event, you know, and why would they follow them from their home? All you had to do was just get invited to the event, you know, and then you could take legitimate pictures. They knew you were gonna be there, they were gonna pose for you. Weren't they just hungry to get that money? They were, and it was a ton of money. This is when the Enquirer really changed too, because back in the day, the Enquirer wasn't writing all these crazy stories. You know, they were more of a actually legitimate magazine, believe it or not. They they verified sources very much so before they published anything, and because they had been sued by sued by Share in the 70s, so they were very very strict on verification, on sources. Um, that has changed now. I mean, these rags, they write whatever they want, you know. But back then, they really, they were pretty legitimate on their news. People didn't want to believe it, but it was true what they were writing. So now the Inquirer is taking a turn. All these new magazines are coming out. The Globe, the, you know, these trashy magazines that are, are selling off the, they're going crazy. The, the newsstands are going nuts. You're buying them in your grocery stores. And meanwhile, you're still working. You're still trying to go to events and get legitimate photos. Trying to get legitimate photos. Right. And you could see how the celebrities were having a hard time separating who you were. You know, it was very difficult for them to understand what was happening, too. This was a big change to everybody. Also, I will say this. I do blame a lot of this on... Uh, the Brat Pack, the Rob Lowe's, the Demi Moore's, because this is when the change started happening. Before, when you would go to an event like a premiere, of course, every celebrity there would stop and pose for you. That was their job. Rob Lowe and Demi Moore would jump out of their cars and, and run straight in. Because they didn't want to get photographed? They didn't want to get photographed, and none of us understood why this was... This was the change that was going on I in see. the Hollywood life. I see. So we were all baffled because... You get a specific assignment, like St. Elmo's Fire, you have a specific assignment to get the cast. It's very important you get the cast, and then you get the cast photo. These are, these are very important things. And if they're going to run in and you're not getting these pictures, then you're in trouble. You're in trouble with your publisher. Where are those photos supposed to go? To the magazines, whatever assignment you were on. You know, if you went to a premiere, you would have an assignment. You'd be shooting for Us Magazine, People Magazine, Canadian Magazines, European Magazines, whoever, because you had to get clear to be there. They just didn't let every Joe off the street cover a premiere. You had to be a reputable photographer. So here comes Rob Lowe, running. Here comes Demi Moore, running. Here comes Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold, threatening photographers. Here comes a whole change in the Hollywood glamour that I once experienced. You know, I went from this, I felt like I was at the Academy Awards every time I went to work, to I felt very stressed out, I felt very unhappy. Um, it was not fun anymore to be taking these pictures because you were starting to be treated very poorly. It was such a change. And, you know, I had to really do a lot of it analyzing about could I continue to work in this industry because I felt very, very thrown in a very bad category. You know, and you were being associated with the paparazzi very back much to so. the George Clooney story. You're like, that isn't me. That isn't me. That isn't me. And I've always had the utmost respect for celebrities. I've always had a professional way of approaching them and they did with me as well. We had a mutual understanding of professionalism that was being lost. Mm. You know, uh, people like Bette Midler, who always used to pose at their premieres, uh, stopped posing at their premieres. And, 
you know, this is getting harder and harder for me to make a living. This is harder for me to get an assignment. This is, everything's getting too difficult. Why do you think these photographers or these paparazzi started doing this? Because they knew there was so much money in this industry? The National Enquirer went for offering, at one point when you would do an assignment, let's say you'd make 250 That was a flat rate. And back then, that was quite a bit of money. 250 for the night? 250 for the night. Okay. So, you know, if you work for two or three hours, it's terrific. You make $80, $90 an hour. It's steady money. Even if the, even if the uh, photos don't sell, you know you've made $250 for the night. And then you could go do something else. You know, there's other events. You could, you could work as much as you wanted. You know, there was late night events. There was after hour events. There was, there was things going on with Young Hollywood all the time. So it was really up to you as to how many hours you wanted to work. Were you having a more difficult time with your photos being published with the competition of the paparazzi? Not so much because, again, different ball games, okay. apples and oranges. But the paparazzi were getting 1000 to $2,000 to get up in those helicopters. You had to pay for those helicopters. So the National Enquirer and this Globe and the Sun magazine were basically paying for them to rent these helicopters to go get these photos. So here's this whole industry that's changed. And why? Like, why do you need to harass celebrities? Like, I don't understand why you can't, why the, the path you were doing couldn't have been continued. Why do you think it is? I, I wish I could tell you. Yeah. I mean, if it had been me and it was Cher's wedding and you wanted these photos, what I would have done is contacted a publicist and said, hey, listen, can I get an exclusive on Cher's wedding? And what I'll do in turn for you is you'll have a photographer, I'll bring my whole crew in there to shoot this wedding for share beautiful wedding pictures. We'll shoot like wedding photographers. She doesn't have to worry about hiring a photographer. I'll give her first look at the pictures before they're published. Everything will be hers to decide what is published. And they, of course they would have been like, of course. You go the more sensible, more respectful route. Yeah. As opposed to the aggressive, greedy, harassing route. Yes. Yes. which is continuing and now has just exploded. Very interesting. I do want to bring up something. You brought up Getty Images earlier. Yeah. Now, this group of photographers that I worked with were, were a very tight-knit group. I, I would never say they were my friends, other than Tracy, who was my business partner. But I had a very good friend named Steve Granitz. He was a very good friend of mine, and um, we even dated a few times. He ended up staying in the business after I got out. You know, a lot of the good photographers ended up getting out of the business. Now, Steve was a very smart businessman, and what he decided to do was to buy up stock photos from a lot of the agencies. And he was one of the developers of Getty. But what he did was he would take a picture that used to sell for $125 and sell it for 50. So he was undercutting every other agency. So nobody's selling anymore. It's just him selling because he's undercut, because he's got so much quantity mm -hmm. and such a file that he can afford to do this. For him, he's making six figures and then some a year. And all the other photographers are losing their shirt. It's only the paparazzis and him that are surviving at this point. A lot of them have changed what they had to do to make a living. Mm. And Steve sold Getty, so he doesn't have anything to do with it anymore. One person we haven't talked about yet that I am very interested to know about is your relationship with Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Okay, so this is a story of old stories. I don't know if I'll ever make sense of the story, but it is by far one of the most interesting things that's ever happened to me in my life. I was very, very good friends with Jacqueline Smith. I did a lot of work for her and her kids. In fact, if you ever look at Jacqueline Smith pictures that have been published, they're all mine. I can guarantee you. I was her photographer. So she was a Republican at this point. 
Don't know if she still is, but she was a Republican. And she was very, very in awe of Ronald Reagan, the President of the United States. Now, I had a, a badge called LAPD. And what that meant was I was cleared by the Los Angeles Police Department and the FBI to be able to take pictures of presidents, of, of royalty, because I had been cleared that I had no criminal background, mm. okay? So she said to me, will you be able to get into this event? I said, absolutely, I have LAPD. Now, she was notoriously late for everything. I swear to you, she was late <laughs> to her own party. She was always late. So I get into this Ronald Reagan. It was at the uh, Anaheim Convention Center, and he's up for re-election. And he, so I, I get there, and I say, hey, I'm representing Jacqueline Smith. We have a, a, a photo shoot set up at so-and-so time of her and Ronald Reagan. Secret Service, yes, yes, you know. Go in this room, please. Just go sit. She's not here yet. Just go sit in this room. So I think they're going to put me in a green room or something like that. Well, you're sitting across from me. Ronald Reagan was also sitting across from me. Oh, my goodness. And he keeps looking at me, and I look at him. It's weird. Like, the whole thing's kind of weird. And he goes, I'm so glad you're here today. And I'm like, oh, thank you, sir. That's quite nice of you. And he goes, I, I wasn't expecting you. And I said, oh, okay. He goes, you know, I I'm really sorry we're not in touch anymore. And I'm like... Uh, I'm sorry, do you have me mistaken with somebody else? And he says, no, no, I, I get why you're acting like this. I know you're angry at me. And I said, no, honestly, I'm not. I mean, I'm a, I'm a liberal, but, you know, I, I really am not, I'm, not, I'm not angry at you. I mean, to each their own. At this time, Republican and Democrats weren't all about hate against each other, you know? Right, right. So this wasn't like a big political issue. So, um, you know, it was just, the whole thing was very weird. And he goes, how's your mom? And I'm like... Yeah, she, she's doing well. Thank oh you, thank you for asking. Oh, my goodness. And so it keeps going on, and she goes, he goes, you know, I don't really understand why we don't speak anymore, but it's okay. I'm just glad you're here today. And at this point, I'm like, I have no clue who he thinks I am. I really, I don't know. I don't know what's happening here, but I'm very uncomfortable, and I just, I want to be out of here. Like, I don't. I don't, I'm, I, I'm not comfortable. You yeah. know, I'm like, where's Jacqueline? Where is Jacqueline? And you were just by yourself with him? And the Secret Service. Oh my goodness. Okay, because he's going to speak at this big convention. Right. So I'm like, oh my God, Nancy's not there, it's just him. This is just craziness. So I'm like, okay, this is, this is, this is okay. Everything's, everything's going to be fine. Just do your job. And just sit there and keep shaking your head like you know what he's talking about. So he says, you know, next week... We're doing our big Pacific Palisades Ronald Reagan event. Please come. And I said, okay. Now this <laughs> one, I say, okay. Sure, I'll be there. <laughs> because this is a very hard event to get into. So right, I say, right. I'm in. Right. This is good. I still have no clue what's happening. So cut to Jacqueline shows up, get the photo done. I am driving the whole way home with my head just spinning. I you am, still don't know who well, you no, were. Well, no, no. This, this ends up making sense. So I start to talk to a couple of the other photographers, and I said, listen, guys, I've had a very weird experience. I called him up. I said, Ronald Reagan was acting like, like he knew me, and he was behaving in such a strange manner towards me. Do you have any clue as to why he would be behaving like this. And they said, well, he has a daughter named Patty who he hasn't spoken with in years, and she has brown curly hair. And rumor has it that Ronald Reagan has Alzheimer's. So he is seeing you as being his estranged daughter. Wow. So all these things are starting to add up. And I'm like, <gasps> so I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this specific Palisades thing. It made you uncomfortable. It made me very uncomfortable. And so my business partner, Tracy, says, Linda, this is big money. 
you go and you do this and I'm coming with you and we're going to go do this event. And if it gets weird, I'm going to pull you aside or we're going to, we're going to. Because he was president at this time. He's president of the United States. Okay. You do not say no to this. You do not say no. There is something not right with what's just happened, but I can't really tell people this story because I pretty much am aware of the fact now that he's running for a second term and the president of the United States has dementia or Alzheimer's. And it was very, very obvious to me, you know, that this is what's going on. So this is a weird pickle situation, you know, like the Inquirer would have jumped on this story, but I'm like, uh-uh, I'm not getting involved in this. I'm going to go shoot this event. And this is the last I will ever see of Ronald Reagan. So I go to the event and I go to the press section and the Secret Service come and get me. They don't allow Tracy to come. They come and get me to sit at the table with Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Now, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Nancy is sitting there, Ronald Reagan is sitting there, and Nancy says, who is this? And why is she here? <laughs> oh my gosh. And I said, I don't know. You're, you're like, I don't, I, you're I, like, I'm innocent, I was invited. <laughs> I don't know. And Ronald goes, I want her here. Don't say anything else. And Nancy, she knows as much as me as to why this whole thing's going on. So I'm sitting there and he's giving me all this stuff. He's like, I want you to have this, this hat, and I want you to have this, this shirt. And I just, I just, I, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to sign this for charity of your choice. And he starts giving me all this stuff, like this sign Ronald Reagan stuff. And I'm like, okay. You know, so I take all this stuff and I held on to it for many years. I recently sold some of the stuff on eBay for over a thousand dollars per item. So Again, the whole thing's weird. Nancy doesn't know why I'm there, but I'm taking pictures and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I get done and I kind of let her know that I have no ill intentions. Yeah. I really don't understand what's going on either. To the day that I die, I was sitting with the president of the United States who mistook me for his daughter. I mean, that's a very interesting story, if I do say so. If that's one I die with, that's a pretty interesting story. My jaw is dropped. I really don't know what to say. That is one incredible story. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I yelled at Jacqueline Smith for that for years. So did you photograph him after that? Never. So it was just that one event? I did a Nancy Reagan event, and she gave me stink eye through the whole event. So um, she didn't like you? She did not like me. But you were so innocent and you explained to her. She knew I knew too much. That's what it is. So she knew he was dealing with Alzheimer's and you knew and she... I guarantee you Nancy Reagan was the president for the last four years of the term. Ronald was very... They covered it up. But even if you look back at on his speeches, you know, I'm very conscious of it now. And I've looked back at some of this stuff. If you look back on his speeches, you'll see her kind of, you know tap him on the shoulder or say what he meant to say, you know, Ronnie, you know, she'd make it all very joking and stuff, but he made his speeches very slow, very short and very sweet in his, in his second term. So she probably didn't like you because she was afraid you were going to go to the press or you were press. I Maybe was press. she was afraid that it was going to get out. I mean, she owed me, if I was her, I would have been a lot nicer to me because it never came out. It did come out, but not because, not because of, me. of you. Yeah, that was definitely one of those times. Again, you look back and you go, how did this just happen? Is this an industry you'd ever get back into or are you done? Never. This industry will never be the classy star-studded gala events that I went to. It will never be the same. Yes. And I think your stories are stories that 
I don't think anyone really knows. And I thank you for sharing because I also want to mention this is a subject you actually don't talk about much. You don't talk about your background very much. This is something you kind of keep to your friends, keep to yourself. Yeah. So thank you for sharing. And I'm I'm really grateful. And so as we mentioned in the beginning, you are a ghost hunter. I'm a ghost hunter. I'm Linda the ghost hunter. So Linda the ghost hunter um, came to play. I started doing a tour for Airbnb as part of their experience package. And this yes. is my, my, my husky who apparently agrees. Yeah, he agrees about your, your tour. My tour. And I thought it was going to be kind of a gimmick because I had been a ghost hunter for 15 years prior to this. And Spooky's going to keep talking. Yeah, the dogs are going to make an appearance too. Yeah, they're going to make an appearance. <laughs> You're doing these tours. You have a huge following on YouTube right now. I have a huge following on YouTube. Um, I think the reason why I have been such a successful ghost hunter, and I say this all the time, is because... Half the people that talked to me, that did talk to me on Hollywood Boulevard, I took their picture at some point. So I spoke to them when they were alive, and I speak to them while they're dead. That was a question I was going to ask you. Yes. Is there any of the people that you photograph, they come they come through in your tours? In they your do. Hunts? They do. They do. So yes, this has definitely happened. So, so for the sure. two worlds have collided. They have collided. But where can people find your YouTube? Uh, Linda the Ghost Hunter on YouTube. Also at Linda the Ghost Hunter Instagram. Also on Facebook. And I have a website, so if you ever have a haunted house that you want me to come inspect, check out my website, Linda the Ghost Hunter. Well, Linda, like I say, thank you so much for coming right. on and telling your stories. Thanks for having me. Photographer, like they were really insightful. And by incredible. the way, you're a great interviewer. This is the first time I've dealt with you professionally, and that was very incredible. So thank oh, you for good. having me. I enjoyed it as well. So thank you so much. All right, thank you. And that concludes my interview with Linda. I really hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. As you heard, these are stories that I don't think have ever been shared in the mainstream, and I was so grateful she sat down with me to talk about it. If you're liking the show, you can follow us on Instagram at Inside the Artist Radio or Facebook at Inside the Artist. We are available on all the podcast platforms, so be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for future episodes. Thanks so much for listening to Inside the Artist. Inside the Artist with Rachel Cole.